0: stand, if we could, for the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter number 9, Luke 9, verse 23 through 27, and uh, we'll begin together in verse 23 and read every other verse together, and so uh, verse number 23, here we go, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, we're supposed to read together, let's try that again. Verse 23, I'm thinking no one's reading. All right, here we go, ready? Verse 23, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Well, again, we're looking at this series of the compassion of our Savior. And the title of our sermon this morning is this, Our Cross... To bear, God has called each of us to pick up our cross and follow Him. What does that mean? How are we to do that? What does that look like? And how does that fall under the auspice or umbrella of the compassion of the Lord? Let's pray. Lord, take. Uh, we pray that you would take the uh, your the Word today, the Living Word, and Lord help change us, mold us by it. Uh, Lord, uh, may we, uh, Lord, uh, understand just the value and importance of being a true disciple of yours, what that entails, what that costs, and Lord, may we be committed to that cost. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, during my day-to-day, there is one thing that I look forward to as much as anything else, and I'm talking uh, my daily routine here, and that is when I walk in The back door of my house after work or even after lunch. In fact, any time I walk in the back door of my house, it is just a highlight in my day. You say, well, why is walking in the back door such a big deal? Because I am greeted with love. I am greeted with love. You say, is it your wife? Not always. Is it your kids? Never. Is it the cat? Nope. It's the dog. Ginger is there to greet me every time I come in the door. She she jumps up and puts her usually she's been being doing nothing and I come in and she puts her paws up on my chest and she stretches out real big and and then I pet her around her ears and I pet her on top of her head and I talk to her and and that tail just wags and Here's a picture of Ginger on her birthday last year. Um, you know, my wife accessorizes everything. And uh, by the way, uh, she hated that hat, hated that hat and uh, that tutu she's wearing in the background. But uh, Ginger is just a bright spot in our in our lives. And uh, we we love love. How many of you are dog people? You have a dog or you wish you had a dog. Right. Um, we, we just love uh, Ginger. She she, uh, she's precious. I remember uh, when, we, when I picked her up in December of 2020, I picked her up and brought her home, and she couldn't have been more than seven or eight weeks old, and uh, she just whimpered and cried. She was so scared, and the next day uh, for Christmas, we gave her to Matthew and April, and it wasn't 20 seconds, being in the house, that she found the cat, and they had their first fight. So... Um, <laughs> But uh, now the cat and dog love each other. They even snuggle up on the couch sometimes together, and uh, they, are, they are great. You could say that I have Ginger's heart. Uh, she loves my love. She loves my affection, and she loves all of the attention that I can give her to the place where at times she, uh, she pushes in too much. She wants too much attention. And, Last night, I uh, was laying on the couch, just, just, just resting, and she comes and nuzzles that wet nose right under my hand and wants me to pet her, and I pet her for a few minutes, and, and uh, I, I stop, and she sticks that nose right back under my hand, and uh, she just wants more affection and more attention, and um, she was away giving birth for a handful of weeks, giving birth and nursing. She's a breeding dog, and we got her back, and she made a beeline for me, and I guess I'm the alpha in the house, so there's a draw there. And, and so she she um, would not leave my side for several hours. And um, I have Ginger's heart, and really Ginger has my heart. And if if you think about that in terms of, of you and the Lord, uh, does God have your heart? Does God have your heart? Sometimes when I'm looking down at my dog, and, and I see how she's worshiping me, She's worshiping me. I pet her, and she can't get enough. She, she wants more. I put a leash on her, and I take her out for a walk. And if I were to take her for a walk for half a mile, and I don't talk to take her out for a walk much. I want to make sure I'm honest on this. Amen? Uh, but when I do take her out for a walk, when I have taken her out for a walk half a mile or whatever, I get back. The truth is, if I wanted to take her out again, she'd be ready to go. She'd be ready to go. That's how God wants us with Him. He wants us to worship Him. He wants to know that He has our heart and we have His heart. If if God has your heart, then you will enjoy and desire walking with God and you will enjoy and desire working for God. It is not hard to do these things. It's natural because you are in love with the Lord. Why is it that we work for God? Thank you, Brother Joe. Why is it that we work for God? Because... He has dumped His compassion all over us through salvation. So far in this series, we've looked at our canceled brokenness. We've looked at His constant benevolence, our compliant behavior last week. And this morning, we'll turn our attention to the topic of our cross to bear. Our cross to bear. Christianity is symbolized by a cross. By a cross. While we all know that the cross is the place where Jesus died For our sins, it is also a symbol of what Christ expects His followers to carry. His followers to carry. To be a disciple of Christ is to carry your cross. This is your labor. Um, This is your task. This is your calling, if you are not carrying your cross for the Lord, uh, then you may very well be saved, but you are not a disciple of Christ. Let me say that again. If you are not carrying your cross, you may very well be saved, but you are not a true disciple of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we looked at three weeks ago, says, for we are his workmanship, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus Unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. To uh, have a heart for God means that we are doing the work of God. We are uh, we are created to do these good works. We are walking in these good works. We are carrying our cross. We are bearing our cross. Um, one who has a heart for God understands his calling to do the work of God and to bear. His cross. This calling is not a casual calling. It's a serious one. This calling is a vital one. It is the cross that defines Christ's compassion on broken humanity. And it is the cross that defines our love reciprocated back to Him. Our love reciprocated back to Him. Have you ever loved on someone only to get a cold shoulder in return? Have you ever loved on someone and really went the extra effort and tried to push through their calloused heart and tried to love on them through their, uh, their brokenness only to get mistreated and only to get shunned and only to get a cold attitude back? Someone said if you rescue a dog, they're loyal for life. If you rescue a human, they're not always so loyal. They're not always so loyal. That that broken dysfunctionality uh, can continue to rear its ugly head. I have found that when I've tried to reach down into the mud pit and mire of life and help broken people out, oftentimes I end up getting a little bit of that mud on me. Sometimes they want to yank me down in the mud pit with them. How I of mean, you know what I'm talking about this morning? And sometimes when you try to help broken people, boy, it can be a futile effort, a futile effort. And listen, when we pick up our cross and follow the Lord, we're picking up uh, His calling on our life. This is not to be done lightly. This is not to be done in our spare time. This is not to be done just when we. Feel like it, this is something that we're to take seriously. We're to take uh, and and we're to uh, put on ourselves. It is to be the definer of who we are. This morning, let's dive into the scripture and see the cross uh, carrying from four different perspectives or four different angles. Cross bearing, cross carrying from four different uh, perspectives. Uh, number one, perspective number one, notice the conditions of cross-bearing, the conditions of cross-bearing. When I look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23, what I see is that we're given four steps to proper cross-bearing. Four steps to proper cross-bearing. In fact, I believe that these are to be accomplished one at a time and in proper order. Uh, you cannot jump to step four and skip one through three. You cannot jump to step two until you have completed step one. One, You are to learn step one and then move on to step two and then progress into step three and to step four. I believe the reason why so many Christians do not properly bear their cross is because they're not checking these off in proper order one at a time. So let's jump into verse 23 uh, by way of point one and let's see the conditions of cross bearing. Step one, notice our pursuit, our Pursuit. Look, look at Luke chapter 9 verse 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me. Their step one will come after me to pursue the Lord. Um, uh, there, there, think of a young man who is infatuated with a young lady. He is coming after her to win her heart. His desire is her. His desire is her. He's coming after her. He's pursuing her. He's chasing her down romantically and trying to convince her uh, to be with Him and long term, maybe even marry Him. You cannot and you will not bear your cross until you first fall in love with Christ. You first fall in love with Christ. The psalmist worded it this way. In Psalm 1017, he said, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. And I love what David said in Psalm 73, verse 25. He said, Whom have I in heaven but thee. And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. You see, David was so in love with God that he pursued him with all of his heart. David woke up in the morning thinking about the Lord. He went to bed at night thinking about the Lord. He wrote poetry uh, uh, excessively about the Lord. By the way, heaven will only reveal how much poetry David wrote about the Lord. I believe there was a lot David wrote that didn't even make it in to the book of Psalm. And uh, David would take a stand for the Lord. David would live his life while imperfect. He would live his life uh, a wholesale for the Lord. and David was in love with God. David was in pursuit of God. Some of you in here are married. Others of you that are single have been in uh, dating relationships before. And you know what it's like to have a heart that's in pursuit of someone else's heart. You know what it's like to be falling in love. And God is looking for us before we ever pick up our cross and follow Him. The Lord is looking for us first to fall in love with our Savior, to fall in love with Him. And I would ask you this question this morning is, have you fallen in love with God? Is He your everything? Uh, I, um, I, I look at my pictures of my family and sometimes when I'm home, I look across the room and see Angela and my kids and I could not humanly love my wife and my children more than I do. I mean that. Um, I got married 15 years ago, and uh, coming up on 15 years ago, and I remember standing on the wedding altar, looking into the the face of my bride and feeling an intense love for her. But 15 years later, I look back on that day and I realize I really didn't even know what love was. My love for her has grown more and more. But as I sit and I look at my children and I look at my wife and then I stop and think about how much I love my God, boy, it, it isn't even close. My, the love I have for my God is so much higher and so much more supreme and, and so far above that not that I would ever be forced to make a choice, but if I was ever given an ultimatum between my family and my God, uh, God has my heart. And I would ask you a question this morning is, are you in pursuit of the Lord? Do you love the Lord? Our step one in bearing our cross is our pursuit. Step two is our our prohibitions, our prohibitions. Go back to Luke chapter 9 and look at verse 23. It says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. Now the order of this is important. You see, some people think that Christianity is all about rigid rules and regulations. And, oh, man, if I'm going to take up my cross, that means I've got to tell myself no to a whole bunch of things that I really love and I really enjoy. But the reality is, is that if you will fall in love with God, then denying yourself becomes a whole lot easier. Denying yourself becomes a whole lot more simple because you see that these things are obstacles Keeping you from loving God and you want to remove them so that love of God can intensify yet that that much more. The order is important. If you are trying to eliminate sin out of your life without first falling in love with God, you will find it near impossible to tell your flesh no. First Peter chapter 2 verse 11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against The soul, war against the soul. You see, if I'm going to intensify that relationship with my Savior, Jesus Christ, if I'm going to grow that thing, then there is going to be obstacles in the way that I must remove in order for that relationship to grow. There are sins in my life uh, that I enjoy that I must learn to put away and do away with. I must learn to deny myself. I must learn to put Christ ahead of what my flesh wants, to put the Spirit's leading ahead of my flesh's Leading Isaiah 55 or 7 says this let the the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him on Wednesday evening we're going through the book of Isaiah we looked at Isaiah chapter 30 this last week and we saw how that God is patiently waiting for his people to return to him and when they decide to set their sin to the side and they decide to 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 turn to the lord he is waiting to pour out mercy and grace and compassion all over him you see you cannot bear your cross until you first fall in love with the lord and you pursue him you cannot bear your cross until you learn how to say no to some sinful behaviors that are in your life and uh, I could get up here all day and I could say that you need to change this and change that and, and this sin needs to go and that sin needs to go and thus saith the Lord here and thus saith the Lord there and I could take the Bible and I could just beat you up all day with it and, and, and the truth is that uh, I could guilt trip you into short term change possibly but uh, the only way you are really going to change the only way that certain sins are ever going to fall off is if first you fall in love with God deep down in your heart. Because when God has your heart, the Holy Spirit says, hey, this is in the way, and this is limiting you, and and this sickens me, and and this this is a problem between us, and all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. Lord, you've done so much for me, as Brother Kyle so eloquently said, uh, said a few minutes ago, my sins were nailed to the cross, how can I then continue to live in those those sins that put my Savior on the tree? You see, uh, step one to cross-bearing is we must learn to pursue the heart of God. And I would say this to you. Don't worry about giving up on sins and fighting those battles until you first learn to fall in love with God. You see, when you come after Him, then it becomes a lot easier to deny yourself. Step three, step three. We've seen our pursuit, our prohibition. Step three, notice our passion, our passion. Look with me at Luke chapter 9 and look at verse number 23. And He said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. You see, before we can bear our cross, we fall in love with God. And then we begin to purge sin out of our life. And then step three is we pick up our passion. We pick up our cross. What does it mean to bear your cross? Much of the rest of the message is going to be devoted to answering that question. But quickly, the cross was Jesus' passion. That was his passion. You've heard it called the passion of Christ. It was the place where where he did his most important work. It was the place where Jesus fulfilled his earthly calling. Jesus didn't just come to earth to touch blind Bartimaeus and give him sight. He didn't come to earth to raise a centurion's daughter from the dead. He didn't come to earth to give Lazarus a second lease on life. Oh, he did those things along the way. Oh, they were part of his calling along the way. But the supreme calling of the life of Jesus was the cross. He came, he was born, as you hear around Christmas and Easter time, he was born to die. He was born to die. He came to earth. His passion on earth was that He would be nailed to the cross and He would become our sin and He would die on our behalf. He would die in our place. Let us not forget that the cross is a symbol of great pain and suffering. And this is what Christ has called us to carry. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 5. You're in Luke 9, Matthew chapter 5. Two books to the left, Matthew Chapter 5, quickly turn your, uh, make your way over there. Jesus Christ was born to die. He came to do an important work, and that important work involved pain and suffering and hurt and tears and sweating great drops of blood and uh, becoming that which He hated in our sin so that He could give us His righteousness. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 4. The Bible says, Blessed are they that mourn where they shall be comforted. I would love to get up here today and be a, a tele-evangelist. I, I'm not enough big time on TV to call myself a tele-evangelist. Amen. We have 40 to 50 people who, who, who stream our service, so I'm not really a TV preacher yet. Amen. But can I just tell you about TV preachers? Many of them, they preach a very shallow version of Christianity. Amen. Very shallow version of Christianity. You know, they want to tell you is that if you'll just send a check to our church then you'll be filled with peace and joy and happiness and prosperity and wealth and health. How do those concepts fit into bearing a cross? How do those concepts fit into Matthew 5, 4? Blessed are they that mourn. That mourn. You know part of the Christian life should be devoted to times of sadness. I believe that we've lost the doctrine of mourning. We don't mourn over our sin. We shrug our shoulders at it. We don't mourn over the sin of our country. We just accept it as that's where our country is. Oh, that Christians would fall on their knees and mourn. And mourn. Blessed are they that mourn. You see, when you bear a cross, that cross is a symbol of suffering. And that suffering is going to involve a time of mourning. Look at Matthew 5, look down to verse 10. Look down to verse 10. The Bible says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice! Rejoice! When these things happen and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you in that persecution, you will be put in great company. The verse continues, uh, uh, rather, uh, 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 you cannot, let me just say this, you cannot and will not fulfill Christ's calling on your life and do serious labor for our Lord until you first Pursue Him and, and and do so with all of your heart. Uh, you cannot and will not fulfill God's calling on your life until you learn to prohibit sin from reigning in you. And uh, you get passionate about carrying your cross and no matter the cost. No matter the cost. But notice there is one more step to cross-bearing. We've seen our pursuit. We, we've seen, uh, number two, uh, we've seen, uh, let's see here, i got a short memory. Our prohibitions. Number three, our passion. Step four, notice our path. Our path. Look down at verse number 23. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Let's read those last three words together. Ready? And follow me. Ready again? And follow me. The hymnist worded it this way. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. We will follow the steps of Jesus where'er they go. Jesus spent three and a half years of his life teaching these, uh, teaching these steps to twelve men. Teaching these four steps to twelve men. He taught them how to fall in love with the Lord. He taught them how to deny their flesh. He taught them the importance of bearing their cross. And he taught them how to follow in his footsteps. Look at Matthew chapter 4 with me. We were in Matthew 5 a moment ago. Look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse number 18. Here we find Jesus at the very beginning uh, of his ministry meeting uh, three, or rather two of his disciples' brothers, uh, named Peter and Andrew. Look at Matthew 4, look at verse 18. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea. Uh, uh, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me. You see those words? Follow me. Now, does that just mean we're just going to wander aimlessly? No. When we follow the Lord, there is always a task attached to that followship. Let that settle in your heart for a minute. When you follow the Lord, there is always a task attached to that followship. Look back at verse 19. Follow me, and I will make you, I will convert you into fishers of men. What are the conditions of cross-bearing? You must pursue Jesus with all your heart. All right, look up here at me for a minute. Some of you, you don't need to worry about following Jesus. You need to uh, worry this morning when you leave here, your duty is to learn how to fall in love with Jesus. You will never follow someone you don't love. Step one, fall in love with Jesus. Come after Christ. Go get Him. Go find Him. Learn to fall in love with Him. Some of you loved Him years ago. Some of you knew what it was to be infatuated with the Lord years ago, but now it's just routine. Now it's just mundane. You don't need to worry about the follow part. You need to go learn to fall in love with Jesus. Watch this. Before I could convince Angela to follow me all over the country in church service, I had to come after her and win her heart. And when we fell in love with each other, then I could convince her to follow me. And listen, uh, before you will ever follow the Lord, before He'll ever convince you to follow Him, you need to learn to fall in love with Jesus. Others of you in here, you love Jesus, but you also love your sin. And you go back and forth between loving Jesus on Sunday. You show up and you you do, you really do love the Lord, but then you get outside of church and you love your TV shows and you love your entertainment and you love your sin and and you're torn between the two. And I would say, like Elijah on Mount Carmel, how long halt ye between two opinions? It's great that you love the Lord. It's not so great that you love and harbor your sin. You see, then you learn to cut those sins out. Then comes step three, bearing that cross. And then comes step four, wherever the Lord takes me, I'll go. Wherever the Lord wants me, uh, whatever the Lord wants me to do, I'll do. Whatever the Lord wants me to say, I'll say. My hands are His hands. My feet are His feet. My tongue is His tongue. I will voice what He wants voice, how He wants it voice. I will go where He wants me to go. You see young people, uh, here today, before you will ever commit your life to serve the Lord full time, you must first learn to fall in love with Him. You must then learn to say no to sin. You must then learn what it means to pick up your cross no matter the cost. And then you must, then you will follow, find it easier to follow in the footsteps. Of Jesus. Number one, we see the conditions of cross bearing. Let's look at number two, the cost of cross bearing. The cost of cross bearing. Turn over to Luke chapter 14 in your Bibles. Luke 14. We find a very similar passage to that in Luke 9. At least some of the language is the same, but some of the surrounding thoughts are different. You see, in Luke 9, the Lord lays out the conditions of cross bearing, but in Luke 14, he lays out the cost of cross-bearing. Letter A, what we must reprioritize. What we must reprioritize. Look at Luke chapter 14, and look at verse number 25. Luke fourteen twenty five. The Bible says, "...and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciples, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Look down at verse 33. Look down at verse 33. Luke 14, 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I have said some hard things from this pulpit. I have said things that have offended people from this pulpit. Never intentionally, but it's happened. I don't know that I've ever said anything so sharp as that. That in order to be a disciple of Christ, you have to hate your own family. When have I ever gotten up here and said, on my own accord, you don't hate your spouse, you don't love God. You don't hate your children or your grandchildren or your, your, your in-laws. None of us have a problem hating our in-laws, do we? Can I just throw that out there? Amen? I'm just teasing, all right? I, I, I mean that tongue-in-cheek. Some of you are like, no, I, I agree with that, Pastor. Listen. Jesus said in verse 33. Look back in verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh. turns your back on. Forsaketh not All that he hath. That's relationships, that's material goods, that's finances, that's lands, that's everything. All that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. What is the cost of cross bearing? Well, God wants your priorities. He wants your priorities. What is the cost of cross-bearing? You you can know this by looking at your daily calendar. Are you a disciple of Christ? Have you forsaken all that you have to follow the Lord? Look at your daily calendar. How much of your time in your day-to-day is devoted to... To the Lord. Is the Lord the very most important person in your life? Is uh, your time with God the utmost important thing that you do? Uh, if something has to get cut out of a busy week, is church the first thing to get cut? Is your devotion time the first thing to get cut? Or is uh, something else uh, going to get cut? You see, uh, if you're going to be a true disciple of the Lord and you're going to bear that cross... Then you must reprioritize your life to where Jesus is number one, and the next best thing is a far distant second. Amen. A far distant second. And I'm talking about our calendars this morning. You say, Well, you see, we can we can say whatever we want. We can we can we can word it anyway. Oh, I love the Lord. Let's take a look at that calendar of yours and see how much you love the Lord. I see a falling away happening in our culture. A falling away happening. I mentioned this uh, on a Sunday evening a couple of weeks ago. It used to be 30, 40 years ago that the average family missed church once out of every five weeks. And in my opinion, that's way too much. But once out of five weeks. Did you know that in today's culture, uh, church culture, the average family misses church once every three weeks? Once every three weeks. You say, is that the average here? It's pretty close. It's pretty close. You know, no, Do you know now to run 150 in church, you must have way more people attached to your ministry than you did 30 years ago. You can say, oh, I love the Lord, and, and I proclaim His Word, and, and I'm all about God. Does your calendar agree with that statement? Or does the calendar contradict that statement? The Lord said, it ought to be that you love me so much that family never gets in the way of me and you. It ought to be that you love me so much, work never gets in the way between me and you. It ought to be that you love me so much, there is no excuse that you can make as to why that would be first. You see, this is cross-bearing Christianity. You know this by looking at your daily calendar. I'm going to go here next. You you can know this by looking at uh, your monthly bank statement. You know this by looking at your monthly bank statement. I find it so funny that people pick on Christians for giving their money to the Lord, but they're willing to spend hundreds and thousands of dollars to have season tickets at a football game. They call Christians fanatics because they go to church and they uh, put their Bible up in the air and say amen occasionally, but they're going and painting themselves all kinds of colors and cheering for a team in the cold. Who's the fanatic? Who's the crazy one? Because we want to put our lives in line with the Christ who died for us. Who gave his all for us. You see, some people are content with just penny-pinching the Lord a little here and penny-pinching the Lord a little there. And the Bible says that you cannot be my disciple unless you're willing to forsake all and follow me. Take your Bibles over to Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse uh, verse 16. Um, we find a young man who is a morally good person. He makes his way to Jesus, and he he questions Jesus about what he has to do in order to get to heaven. And Jesus has a very interesting dialogue with this young man. Look at Matthew 19 in verse 16. By the way, I'm going to say this, uh, out front. I don't believe Jesus is teaching a works-based salvation in this passage. I believe that what Jesus is trying to do is show this young man that he's not as morally uh, uh, upright as he thinks he is. And Jesus had that advantage. He could look down at the young man's heart and know it. We don't have that advantage. But look at verse 16. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he saith unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God, uh, but if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. Here he's trying to help get the man lost. He's trying to show him you are not as righteous as you think you are. Look at verse 18. He saith unto him, Which, Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as Thyself. He's focusing on those last six that deal with our human relationship. Verse 20, the young man uh, saith unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up, which lack I yet. Jesus saith unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions." Oh, the last six of the Ten Commandments that deal with our relationship with each other. He seemed to have those down, at least in his own eyes. But then God said, there is a God between me and you. A little g God. There is an image that you are worshiping. There is a concept that you are in love with more than the God of heaven. And that is your money. He says to the young man, you cannot be my disciple unless I can have all of you, including your money. The cost of cross-bearing, the costs of cross-bearing. Listen, we must take our schedule and flip it upside down and, and, and turn, it, uh, uh, what, uh, turn it upside down and we must put the Lord at the very top and we must say, God, whatever you want with my time, you can have it all. We must take our finances and our relationships and we must flip it upside down and say, Lord, you are at the top and I will give those things to you first and foremost if you're going to bear a cross then you must count the cost. Letter A, we see we must repri- what we must reprioritize. Letter B, what we must realize. What we must realize. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now look at how methodical we are to be in this process. 28, For which of you intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, What king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a way off, he sendeth an ambassador ambassador and desireth conditions of peace." So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. You see, some people get swept up in the emotion of a sermon like this one and say, I'm all on board. I'm going to fall in love with Jesus. I'm going to cut sin out of my life. I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to march forward for the Lord. And Jesus says, whoa, hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. You're not making a decision on what you want at a restaurant. You're not making a decision about what color you want the walls in your home. You're not making a decision on uh, what dress you're going to wear uh, to church or what uh, what suit you're going to wear to church. You are making a decision that is going to dictate the direction of the rest of your life. Slow it down. Take a seat. Get all by yourself and be methodical about this choice because this is a choice that there should be no going back on. How many Christians have come to church for a while, given their heart to the Lord for a while, laid the foundation of a life to be a disciple of Christ, only then to turn around and walk away, and now they're like that property on Bridgeport Avenue in Shelton that sat empty, half built for years. Praise God, they're finishing it. I heard they're putting a Chick Fil A in there. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Revival breaking out in New England. Amen. Now that may not happen. I'm, I'm reading the news carefully on that one. We'll see. But you remember when they started that property and they got it and they had a sign up that said opening fall of 2021, and here we are in summer of 20. I'm sorry, opening fall of uh, spring. Some of you have been looking at it more than me. Opening spring of 2021. Here we are entering the spring of 2022 and it's still not built. For a while it just sat empty. And sometimes I walk past people and I say, there's a foundation for when they were going to follow Christ. And then they just walked away. They walked away. Jesus says, if you're going to take up your cross and follow me, before you do that, before you do that, You need to sit down and count the cost. Don't you be a Christian who lays the foundation to serve the Lord. The next thing you know, that plot is abandoned. That plot is abandoned. You be a Christian who realizes that this is a lifestyle choice till the day you die. And you be all in for the Lord what we must reprioritize. But before you get into reprioritizing your whole life, you need to count the cost because there is a cost in cross-bearing. Number one, the conditions. Number two, the cost. Number three, our compassion. Our compassion in, in cross-bearing. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 26 if you would. Matthew 26. I stated in my introduction that the cross is the greatest symbol of compassion. If you ever questioned whether or not God pitied you when you were lost and hopeless, look at the cross where Jesus was brutally murdered on your behalf. Some of you here think maybe God has forgotten about you. He's abandoned you in your hardship. He's not there for you as you're going through the worst storm of your life, or one of the worst storms of your life. and If Satan has gotten you disoriented, I would just encourage you to take half an hour and read the crucifixion story and realize he did that for you. When I look at the cross, I realize that if God would be willing to do that for me, he hasn't forgotten it. You see, when we bear our cross, we learn to be compassionate. We learn to be compassionate toward others. Letter A, we see a cross is a symbol of suffering. A cross is a symbol of suffering. As we look at the cross, we understand the great suffering of our Savior. Here in Matthew 26, we find Jesus preparing to go and suffer on our behalf. Look at 26 verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here. And watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as Thou wilt. Many Christians wonder why God the Father allows His children to suffer. To those of you who are suffering, I'd like to ask you this. Do you think that you should get special treatment above the Father's only begotten Son? When Jesus asked out of suffering on the cross, did the Father cave and allow Him a pass on suffering? Then why do you and I think that we should get to bear a cross and not suffer for the Lord. You see, you cannot learn how to show compassion to others until you have first greatly suffered yourself. When we suffer, our compassion tank grows. Letter A, a cross, is a symbol of suffering. Letter B, a cross, is a symbol of sympathizing. Of sympathizing. Turn over to Luke chapter 23 in your Bibles. Luke 23. You see, we've been looking at the compassion of our great Savior, how he has loved us. Boy, how he loved us on that cross. Through his suffering, as the songwriter put it, I am free. Luke 23, look at verse 39. Here we find Jesus on the cross with two thieves and he's hung between these two malfactors as the Bible calls them. Look at verse 39. And One of the malfactors which were hanged railed on him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, this man, hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. Jesus, on that cross of suffering, Turned and looked at that man, and with great sympathy, verse 3:43 says, "And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise." I don't know that we fully grasp this. Jesus had railroad-sized spikes that had gone all the way through his hands and his feet. He had had a leather whip, nine of them. Called a cat of nine tails that had laid open his back. He had had a crown of long thorns woven, thorns woven together into a crown that had been pressed down into his skull and then beaten into his skull with a rod. He had been kept awake for well in excess of 24 hours and was physically exhausted and, 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 and malnourished and hungry. Jesus is hanging on a cross. His life is slipping from Him and He is dying. And uh, in that moment, a man turns to Him and asks for Jesus to save his soul. And Jesus, on that cross, He turns and He shows great sympathy to that man and He does just that. You see, a cross is a symbol of suffering. But if we're going to pick up our cross daily and follow Him, then we're also going to have to learn to show sympathy on others around us. In my early 20s, I was very, very, very hard on people. Truth be told, I looked down on my, my nose on people who had been divorced I looked down on people whose adult children were poorly behaved. I shunned people who were drug addicts. I did not want to associate with people who did not share a very similar, if not exact, worldview to the one I held to. I had a I had strong opinions, and you know it's funny as you get older, your opinions get softer and softer and softer, don't they? And you've been here to realize, well, maybe I really don't know much of anything. But as a young man, I had strong opinions, and I just believed I was right, and, and, and I still believe I'm right with my opinions, because you do too, right? That's why you have an opinion, because you think you're right. But in this, in this early 20s stage, not only did I think I was right, I with prejudice would tell you that you were wrong. I had no problem with that. I was hard, I was mean, I was strong in my opinions, and I was quick to voice them. Watch this though. Then God allowed me to suffer. God took me and my family through some very challenging times. God allowed people that I loved deeply to suffer. And as a result, my heart hurt. As I bore my cross and suffered, something amazing began to take place. God took my Heart of meanness. My heart of legalism. And he replaced it with a heart of sympathy and compassion and care. God took my judgmental, pharisaical attitude from me and gave me a heart of love for the broken of this world. I hope one day when I'm laid in the ground people preside over my, my body for a funeral, that one of the things that is said about me is that he was caring and kind and compassionate to everyone God put in his path. You see, because if we're going to bear our cross, we must learn to show sympathy to those around us who are broken. The thief is in heaven. Not because he lived a good life, because he didn't. The thief is in heaven, not because he was confirmed as a, uh, as a young man, not because he was baptized as a baby. The thief is in heaven, not because he had any good works to offer the Lord. The thief is in heaven because he was a horrible person in life. But at the end, he turned to Christ on the cross, and Jesus showed him sympathy and saved his soul. You see, when we learn to bear our cross... Not only, do we fulfill, not only do we feel the compassion of Christ poured on us, we learn to channel that compassion on others. A cross is a symbol of suffering. A cross is a symbol of sympathizing. Letter C, a cross is a symbol of serving. A symbol of serving. Take your Bibles to John chapter 19 and look at verse number 28. John 19 and verse number 28. You see, our theme this year, a heart for God. You cannot and do not have a heart for God unless you are serving God in some role and in some capacity. And God has a workman. Uh, uh, You are His workmanship. He's created you unto good works. There are specific works that are attached to that cross He wants you to bear. Look at John 19, verse 28. A cross is a symbol of serving after this. Jesus knowing, look here, that all things were now accomplished. Now, the cross represented service and His service on that cross that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now, there were there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to His mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, He said, look here, it is... Finished. You know what that means? That means there was a work to do and he got up on that cross and he did the work that he had been created to do. It is finished. He served humanity by dying for their sins on that cross. The rest of the verse says, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now watch this. The work that God had called Jesus to do sucked the very life out of him and put him in a tomb. Praise God. Three days later, up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. And we live today because Jesus had the power over death, but God has called you and I to serve Him, and it might even cost you your life, but listen, uh, whether or not you are called to be a, a, a sacrifice that dies, or a sacrifice that lives, we are called to serve the Lord, and that's what it means to pick up your cross and follow Him. When we do this, We live a life of compassion. I see some people, some Christians that walk around and they're just flat mean. I see other Christians that are moody. They're up one day and down the next. And up one day and down the next. Up one day and down... And listen, if you're that way because you've had a hard life... Compassion and pity and sympathy comes flowing all from Pastor Lejeune all over you. But can I just encourage you to get to a place where you can be consistent and steady and learn to pour out compassion and pity and, and, and sympathy on others. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. We see the conditions. We see the cost. We see our compassion. Number four, notice our crown. Our crown from cross-bearing. We wrap up the sermon with this. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy 4. We find the Apostle Paul who... Uh, got saved and realized the compassion of Christ uh, there on the Damascus Road, and gave his entire life, his entire life, to showing this compassion to others. Lived a life of pouring out the love of God on the Gentile world. Look at verse six. He says, "At the end of his life, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought." "...a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not, only, uh, not, me, not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing." Paul had spent a lifetime pursuing the heart of Christ. He was in love with his Savior. Prohibiting his flesh, Paul said, "...I die daily." passionately bearing His cross, Paul said that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. The fellowship of His suffering being made conformable to His death. And uh, Paul spent a lifetime walking the path that Christ had laid out for him. Paul had been the apostle to the Gentile people even though it meant his own death. What did Paul say right before he died? He said, when I get to heaven... This, there is going to be a crown of righteousness that awaits me. Paul said, not only me, all of those who learn to love His appearing. Can I tell you the Christians that love the appearing of Christ the most? The ones that are bearing their cross and following Him. Bearing their cross and following And follow him. Listen, the cross is not just some pretty symbol that hangs around a neck, or the cross is not just some pretty decor that hangs sits in a house. The cross is to be the symbol of how we live our life. And when you commit to having a heart for God, then bearing your cross will become part of who you are and what you do. Christian, your labor is not in vain. Your suffering is not in vain. Your sympathizing with others is not in vain. Your serving the Lord and serving others is not in vain. His great compassion. Jesus carried His cross for me and you. And He now calls each one who is redeemed to follow His example and bear his or her cross. Jesus was a dying sacrifice for you. Will you be a living sacrifice for Him? Let's have our heads bowed. And eyes closed this morning. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Are you bearing your cross? Where in those four steps are you? Where in those four steps are you? Do you need to learn to fall in love with the Lord all over again? Is there sin in your life that's plaguing you and keeping you from bearing that cross? Are you bearing the cross the Lord has for you? Are you... Are you bearing a cross of suffering, of sympathizing, and of serving? Are you following the path that God has laid out for your life? How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, the Lord put His hand, His finger in some area in my life that needs to change, that needs to do better. I need to learn to bear my cross. Pastor Lejeune, here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Here's my hand, Pastor Lejeune. Would you please pray for me? I see your hands. And my prayer today would be that you will learn to bear that cross, to take those sufferings that you endure and learn to use those for the betterment of others. How many here today would say, Pastor LeJerne, I am suffering. There's a hardship in my life right now. The Lord is breaking me down. He's remaking me. It's a tough time. It's a trial. Pastor, pray for me that God will give me the grace to get through. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me as I go through this hardship? Many hands, many hands. I will pray for you. I will pray for you this week. You have my commitment. And that. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, would you stir us this morning? Would you show us where we can improve? Help us to bear that cross. Work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed.